Welcome to this edition of um, Doing Things Better and Doing Better Things. And I'm speaking to someone who I've, um, I've kind of watched from afar um, and I've watched his business grow or emerge and then grow. And although I've been connected via a friend, I've never really reached out and, um, and I did so. And it's, it's Ben Branson from uh, Seedlip. For those of you that don't know, Seedlip is a, an alcohol-free distilled um, product. Um, it's not based on juniper, so it can't be called gin, but you would drink it like gin. You'd mix it with tonic and um, kind of solves the problem that, um, that, I, that certainly I have. I do sort of four months of the year where I don't drink um, and, and I don't want to drink um, sweetened drinks all the time. I don't want to drink uh, soft drinks. And so this is a really nice product and it's properly distilled, you know, from from the beginning in, 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 in a distillation um, apparatus. And, and consequently, it, it's expensive to make and therefore it's expensive to buy. It, it isn't flavoured water. Um, and it's an amazing product and that's great and it's booming and that's amazing. And Ben's story is astonishing. But what I really like about Ben is his aspirations begin with Seedlip and they end with changing the way that um, business works and the way that we have a relationship with nature. And I don't mean that in a kind of, I've got ISO, whatever, um, 14,001, or, 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 or even becoming a B Corp, but with the, the latter of which is part of his aspirations. But it's kind of not enough. It's, it's actually about digging into the relationship with the, the product and the materials that, that, that you use. And, um, and, and Ben was born with muddy fingers and, um, and he'll die with muddy fingers. And it's a really lovely conversation that takes us from product right the way through to the soil that creates that. And ultimately the, the hope for a, a better way of doing business and a better way of living. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so I'm sat in um, Wimpole Street, not quite Fitzrovia, but nearly Fitzrovia. Cool, cool part of town. And I've sat with Ben Branson. Ben, tell me about yourself. Fucking hell. Yeah, start like that. Um, my name's Ben. I'm the founder of Seedlip. Seedlip's uh, the world's first distilled non alcoholic spirits. Um, we're a kind of self self-confessed nature company and we're trying to solve this problem of what the hell do you drink when you're not drinking and you've solved that problem well two years what were we 114 weeks old and so far so good do you measure it in weeks still i do yeah that's amazing why do you do that i don't know because it took me two years to create you know it took me two years to create and then just the last uh, the last two years have just been mad and so weeks just fly by and it just helps me put things in perspective is there is there a thing there about not being certain how long at the beginning not being certain if it would make a year and therefore weeks was like the most useful measure the most useful granular measure of time yeah i mean the you look at the stats of <clears throat> how many you know startup food and drink companies fail in their first year? It's like nine out of ten. Is that so? Yeah, that's and really so, interesting. And so you've got no idea. Yeah, it is. It's literally like week to week and day to day, and gradually, luckily, fortunately, over the you know certainly over the last year, I've started to be able to increase that 
thinking and be able to think forwards and be able to have a team and plan and not be so stuck in the day to day. That's really, oh fuck, there's so much to talk about. I want, I want to talk about non-alcohol, I want to talk yeah. about how you run a business and I want to talk about nature. But, but, but firstly, I'm really interested in the psychology of freeing yourself up from the day to day and whether that has, has helped you or whether you, you miss the day-to-day. There's that great white stripe song, isn't there, when you're sitting in a little room. Now, when you sit in that room you do, and the work you're doing is really good, you yeah. only need a bigger room. Yeah. And then when you're sitting in a bigger room, you yeah. might not know what to do. Yeah. And I, I, I'm really interested in that tension between the confinement of, of starting and the, and the expansion of growing. It is a... I found it painful, I guess, in the... Is a, there's a letting go to it and there's a delegation and you know suddenly things are a bit more grown up and you've got people who you work with and it's not just you know it's not just you doing everything um but it's been an amazing pro i mean you know i've learned more about myself in the last two years in terms of what i'm good at and what i'm not good at which has been my only kind of navigator for what the team needs of like what am i not good at therefore what do i need um which has been great because it's just about filling gaps when you kind of go, good, I, I just need to be in this area of the business and I'm not good at operations and I'm not good at sales. So my first hire, operations. My second hire, sales. My third hire, sales. That's interesting. And it's just been a process of like putting a jigsaw puzzle together um, that means that I can be hopefully where I'm best for the business. And some of that is being able to live thinking, I, I think now two to five years out, that's where a lot of the work I'm doing will land, which is, ama- you know, is amazing because I'm good at the beginning of stuff. I'm terrible you know, at finishing things. And... But, but that awareness is really strong. That's a strength that is. And, and I love that whole idea of learning about you. How old are you? 34. Five. Thirty-five. Last week. Happy birthday for last Thank week. You. So between thirty-three and thirty-five, Ben worked out who he was. Yeah, I think that's incredible. I worked out how I work. I think yeah. of like, or how I, I don't know, in some, hopefully not too self-indulgent way of like how, what I'm best at. What are you best at? Yeah, I mean, I still don't know most of the time, but I know that. I know what I get excited about and I know what gets me up in the morning and I know that, you know, I know what I do for Seedlip now, which is, you know, yes, there's the uh, scary grown-up founder stuff, investment and making decisions and setting strategy and all that kind of stuff. And then there's the, the PR and the media side, um... The bit where I get most excited though is is working on drinks and working on and working with nature. That's that's where I I feel like I'm in absolute just heaven. And I think that's where we'll focus because I think I think Seedlip is so successful a um, a product, and I think your story is well documented ev- everywhere. Um, I'm kind of interested in the motivations that sat right behind it, mm-hmm. but I'm really interested in the nature side. To describe yourself as a nature company, I think is is, is beautifully freeing and very visionary, um, incredibly visionary. Because 
Well, because without materials, we have nothing. Without nature, we can't yep. make profit on a dead planet, all yep. that kind of stuff. And, um, and you bring that into stark contrast. But just to finish off the past, before mm. we go on to the future, what, what was it about you? Why did you choose to solve this problem? Why, was, why had nobody solved it before? And what makes your... Why, why did your mind work in that way and your passions work in that way that you, you wanted to solve this? Good questions. Um, I think there were... I, in terms of why had no one looked at solving this dilemma before, <clears throat> I think it had just been the biggest missed underestimated and unseen opportunity that you know you've, you've got kind of in one sense the world of craft spirits and cocktail culture that's you know really taken off in the last 10 years and so the alcohol world was very focused on that because that's all in growth and very exciting the soft drink world was focused on, oh my God, sugar tax, and oh, how we've got to make healthier drinks, and we've got to make healthier things. And so everybody was missing, I guess, this bit in the middle that's like, okay, so that's fine. I don't want to drink a really fizzy, sugary soft drink. And I also want to look after myself a bit more, drink in moderation, maybe not drink at home on a Monday, Tuesday night. And then that gap of like, so what the hell do you drink that fits the occasion, that feels relevant and a good experience and a, a kind of meaningful drink that just got missed um, because everybody was kind of focused in their own little worlds, I guess. And either that was growing stuff with the, the spirit side of things, or it was making, taking stuff out and trying to make, make stuff better, or, you know, big companies acquiring lots of smaller, healthier, you know, coconut water, things like that, that took off. Um, so yeah, it just, it just sort of felt like it was, no one was looking at it. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I, as someone that oscillates between not drinking and drinking, mm. and, I, and I love a drink, mm. and I love a, and I love a gin and tonic, and I love a kind of sound very Brexit. I love an English beer, an English yeah. pub. Right? Yeah, I love it. Um, but I also love not drinking for like a month at a time, and I all the way through university, exactly the same. But I couldn't stand the saccharine, sugar-coated mouth that I got when I wasn't yep. drinking, or I was just drinking water and being paid, being charged an absolute yes. for it. And I wonder if when we look at society and we look at the abuse of alcohol and we're, we're, you know, we're, really, we're really dependent on it. Yeah. You know, as, as you know, a white middle class, middle aged person, I'm surrounded by people who are alcoholic mm-hmm. and don't, don't acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. But they, they, the thought of living a day or a week without alcohol does not occur to them. And, and, and then there's those that are completely teetotal. And, yep. and actually, a healthy, a healthy relationship mm. with alcohol appears to be missing. And yeah. I, I, there's a little bit about our addictive personalities in that. I don't trust me with anything, therefore I'll have nothing. Yes. But the grown-up approach is something in, in between. And I wonder whether we've not gone that way because there isn't a drink in between. And in a way, that's what you've done. You've, you've created this drink. Yeah. And people's response to it has been astonishing. 
Yeah, I mean, you name it, I've heard it from from the sublime and surreal, from, you know, just some of the people that I admire most in the world, um, from the food and drink world, to people getting very angry and, you know, the fact that this inanimate object, a bottle of cedar, can make somebody angry, to me is just as an aside, pretty fascinating. I mean, the, the psychological aspect of drinking and ritual and people's behaviours and their relationships with, with drinks, with bars, with going out, with socialising, with, you know, it taps into this kind of, I don't know, this force that seems to be going on at the moment of you know, are you vegetarian, are you flexitarian, are you vegan, do you buy plastic bags, do you buy plastic bottles, do you drive an electric car, how good are you as a human? Good is the new cool. Yeah, it is. Um, You know, and people wanting to tell you that they're at a spinning class having a green juice, way before they want to tell you that they've been out the night before or been to a great club or, or had a late night. That's fascinating. And that's a massive change. You know? And what do you think is driving that? I don't... I mean, I think we... I think there are, there are these cultural... For, and this is 99% of, of our... of where Seedlip is now is definitely, I, I believe, down to timing. And it, and it feels like the right time. And that's because there are much bigger cultural forces at work in just the shift in how we live our lives and you know we don't have time anymore suddenly time we don't have it you know and we we want it and we want more of it but we can't we're so starved of it for some strange reason and so there's less time to be hung over and there's less time to miss out and i think the world you know things like social media and just how hyper connected this world is now I mean that we're sort of all running and chasing and and kind of the feeling or the fear of being left out and missing out is is kind of just so almost tangible. It's a motivator, isn't it? It's interesting. There's a, there's a really great um, song by Gil Scott Heron on the last album we recorded before he died called Running. Mm-hmm. And it says, I always feel like running, never away because there's no such place. Yeah. And, and he then goes on to talk about running and, and that's the space that we're in. We're all... We're all running, and, and your observation about time is really astute. And I wonder if part of it is we just want more time, like a longer life, and, and, we, and we know. Like, you know that caning it yeah. is going to shorten your life. Yeah. Ignorance is bliss, right? Yeah. And, and the internet and our access to information bursts a lot of bubbles, and it bursts a lot of... And on the one hand, we can find out this information on the other hand you've got uh government legislation etc that are putting out these messages that we then adopt into our own i guess mantras internally of i should i should i should i know i should exercise i know i should eat you know lots of veg i know i shouldn't buy a plastic bottle you know all these should 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 we adopt them as kind of oh, that's what it means to be a good person. Um, a mantra for a better life. Yeah, and it... I mean, I, I'm saying like it's a bad thing. It's an amazing thing. That's a really yeah. powerful thing to kind of change 
societal behaviour and beliefs and attitudes. Well, it's the last. It's interesting. So, so eighty percent of our decisions are made in the subconscious. Mm-hmm. They're made without us. You know, we might want to lose weight in January, yeah. but actually, we like the taste of pork pie the, yeah. more, more than the taste of sweat. And, yeah. and 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 I guess at some point you realise that the satiation you get from eating something not great for you is not worth the reduction in in, yes. in life. Yes. And, and I think we're at that tipping point. It's, it, we're in a fascinating time. Mm. Uh, but I'm really interested. I mean, that's eight, and we can find your story anywhere and everywhere. And Seedlip is one of the most beautiful, savoury drinking moments I've had. And I, I love it. And you're going you're gonna to boom. Thank you. But tell me about peas. I'll tell you about peas. Tell me about nature. Yeah, so I... Well, I have... I have a really strong belief that nothing is original and I'm convinced that everything, <clears throat> A, everything's a combination of everything else and B, all the answers are in the past. All we've got to do is look back, we find them and then we can jump forward. You know, I, I remember as a kid watching things like the Jetsons and, you know, this kind of cartoon world and you're like and then you start seeing I don't know drones and uber flying taxis and all that and you're like so it's like this is about 15-20 years somebody's already thought of this somebody's now able to make it a reality um, and natural history is is why Seelip exists and is how I you know came across a book from the 17th century and found that these apothecaries were distilling these, these alcohol remedies and non-alcohol remedies. And I guess growing up as a, as a kid, outdoors and with a farming family, just this, and I've gone, I kind of, I loved nature as a child. I was happiest outside. You know, I'd think nothing of kind of just going making dens and booby traps in the woods and tree houses and fishing. And that was way more fun than playstations and going to swings and parks and stuff um and then i kind of and that i didn't realize and i've only realizing really probably in the last five years how poignant that was or how i get such just i just find nature just so incredible powerful and ultimately you know we wreck it as a as a people um, and we don't look after it. And when I read things, you know, like the United Nations saying there are sixty harvests left if we keep doing what we're doing to the soil, you know, that's freaking from a business perspective. I need great soil because I need soil to be able to grow my peas, and I need our farmers to be able to grow their ingredients so that we can make drinks, so that we can give people good grown-up options. So there's one side. Second side is just what are we doing to this world to have, you know, I guess the industrialization of farming. And I, I caveat all of this with I'm guilty of this. My family are guilty of this. This is how we farm. This is how I would probably say 90 to 95% of farmers in the world have to farm, inverted commas, have to feel they, that this is this is a way of, of life and yeah, I want to, I want to turn that around and, and look after the soil. Um, 
and there's just so much you know I, I get carried away with peas and the fact they're nitrogen fixing and um, just that they're this little humble green ball that that are just full of so much goodness and wonderful kind of symbolism but as well as nutritional value etc and I'm proud you know that we we use peas and we hand pick them and they go and see the garden and um, and that kind of helps support the farm um, but the the kind of being a nature company and anyone listening it's it is the fucking best recruitment tool ever that's fascinating. There's so much in what you just said. Yeah, it's brilliant. You're amazing. Um, so I love that whole point about the eccentricity. Well, these are my words. My friend James Victoria says, the thing that made you weird as a kid makes you brilliant today. Right. I, I, I like to think of it as the eccentricities of your childhood create the flashes of genius now. Yeah. And, and that's... I love the idea of, of seeing the feral Ben. Yeah. Like, setting up a booby trap for his dad in the woods. Right? I love all that, right? Yeah. Um, because... I grew up, I'm older than you, I'm yeah. 15 years older than you, and I grew up doing, that was normal, like don't come home till tea, Yeah, I love that. Off you go. And, and, we, don't, and we don't get that, that and, and rewilding kids is as important as rewilding wolves and viruses and, and all of that sort of stuff. I absolutely love that. And I love the, the whole idea that you, you know, peas are clearly important and, mm. and, and there's, there was a real lovely recognition that for all the right decisions the farming world has gone the wrong way yep including your family yep. um and and it's but it's changing mm. i can feel i can feel it changing yeah and and the notion that the medium in which we grow things mm. is so fragile because we're now it's two years since that, that yes before, so we're now 58 harvests yep. left yep and i find that just like, oh, it sad. makes me just it makes me feel slightly sick, you know, of just, of, as a slight terror, you know, of, my God, and only, I didn't know why, I've got an email that I'm writing to uh, one of my favourite places in the world, Blue Hill, and to Irene, who, who runs Blue Hill, who I was lucky to go and meet and spend some time Tell with. Tell me about Blue Hill. What's Blue Hill? Blue Hill. Um, Blue Hill Stone Barns, just outside of New York, run by uh, Dan Barber. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. The third play. Third play. Uh, one of my, yeah, one of my all-time heroes. Um, I didn't know why. I, was, I, I knew I wanted to work with the farm, my farm. I knew I wanted to keep us farming. I knew I wanted to work with nature. I didn't really fully... And I knew I wanted to, you know, solve this what to drink me not drinking problem. But I didn't really know what that meant and I didn't really understand what what it was beneath that that I was really trying to do. And it's only because of things like Dan Barber and the Third Play and the UN and, you know, the Soil Association, all these like little pockets of people and who are who've seen this and who are trying to highlight it that I kind of really understood holy shit you know it's sort of about soil the soil will save us and that's that's what I need to do that's what will help Seedlip continue as a business because it means we'll grow great produce help 
turn around industrial farming and look after the soil, help provide this uh, wonderful analogy and metaphor for the culture of our company and the young team that I'm so blessed to have and, and work with to grow them um, and any other nature word for, of the kind of nature dictionary that you want to associate with growth and blossom and bloom and nutrients and all that good stuff um, but I love or I'm obsessed with making things simple and to me the simplicity of focusing on the soil just you know just kind of I feel just absolutely totally galvanised by you know um, that's a real universal thing and I, I'm not trying to kind of save the world but that oh, please. Gives, you no, we need you to help do that but that gives that gives me like a something really tangible that the world over can relate to yeah it's guttural as well it it's like absolutely the medium that we grow things yeah. in if that breaks then, yes. you know hydroponics like, I, I know I get it sure sure but it's, it's not sure. that's not normal no. and, and I, I just the medium is the message it is and, and I just love getting dirty and I read a stat yeah. and, I, and, I, and please if you're listening don't quote me on it because I can't remember where I read it but eight out of ten Londoners won't put their feet on natural ground in a year. Oh my god! Now, obviously, they'll walk across the grass at Soho Square. I guess that doesn't count. Maybe, maybe it does count. But the whole idea of eighty percent of a city—how many people live in London? Twelve million. Ten, twelve. Million. Yeah. So eight million people not putting their feet on natural ground in a year. I, I'm lucky. I, I've got land, mm. and not a lot, but I've got an acre of land up in the Midlands, and. And I love turning compost. Yeah. And, and if I get a chance, I'll go and piss in the garden because yeah. I want, I want yeah. to be able to feel the cold yeah. and I want to be able to know that yeah. my urine yeah. is turning my compost yeah. into something faster. Yeah. And I love pulling the potatoes. It's cheaper for me to buy potatoes. Yeah. But I love pulling my potatoes out yeah. of the ground and touching the soil and I love the granularity mm. of it. And the thought that for maybe three, four hundred years, people, well, two hundred years of the house has been there, two hundred and fifty people have been turning that soil yeah. and it's been delivering goodness to everybody yeah and we've ignored it yeah and we've we've commoditized agriculture both arable and mm -hmm. animal agriculture mm -hmm. to to the point that we don't actually value it anymore yeah. and so everything that you say just rings so true and and and, and so joyfully in my ears how do we get that to scale well, it's a good um, it's a good challenge, and and I guess part of uh, certainly part of what we do or what we want to do more of um, is using you know the platform that we're trying to build with Seedlip on an international kind of stage, and the farmers that we work with, and what we're going to be doing up at the farm. Um, to try and start to just I, I feel like we're and I've been through this with Seedlip and we go through it now when we go to a new city etc nobody knows who we are and no, I, my, my gut feel says that you know the majority of people don't even have a clue about the soil because if they don't even want to touch it 
I mean, why would you even, why would it even be in your conscious? I, I'll always remember, I used, to run a, I used to run an organic box scheme in Bradford long 20, oh, fucking hell, 25 years ago now. I remember taking a box of organic veg into some people at work. Like, they all <laughs> dropped at my house and I used to distribute them. And I remember getting a complaint. So it was, the potatoes have still got mud on them. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's, I, I like that. You, oh, I don't like that. No, you need to, we don't, we won't be ordering them again. Not, <laughs> not muddy potatoes. And you think, where did you think they grew? Oh, but, it's but a bit sanitised supermarket. You know, it just, um, the, the fact that someone, one of our team sent me a link the other day about words that have been taken out of the dictionary from nature. And the fact that the word acorn and the fact that the word blackberry have been taken out of the English dictionary no. makes my blood boil. That's, that's disgusting. The fact that blackberry, the fruit, the berry, has been replaced with blackberry, the phone, is even more just... Oh, and the fact that apple is... Oh, just... You know, so you ask a, 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 you know, I don't know, I don't know what, I don't have kids yet, but I, I don't know what, I remember ABCs and Apple probably being the A, but the thought of, you know, a child learning that Apple is a phone, not, not a fruit. It's a religion. You know, it's, um, it's just heartbreaking. It is, but, but you, we've got to focus on the positive and there is, yeah. and there is a return, I feel there's a return to nature. I feel it comes with, with the luxury of, of, of maybe being relatively well off and having mm-hmm. a garden, mm-hmm. you know, that, those yeah. things are important. But I also think it's a, a rejection of the things that we thought made us happy. Yes. You know, I shop, therefore I am. Shopping is yes. some kind of antidepressant, whereas we all know that, that doing, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I don't give a shite if you run or cycle or yoga or whatever, do more of it outside. Yeah. Like, like, like sitting in a gym, yeah. I can't, I, I, it doesn't fill me with anything other than yeah. fear and frustration. Go and do it out, outside. Get your hands dirty. Get mud on your trousers yeah. and shit on your shoes. Yeah. We need Purcell to bring back the, the Dirt is Good campaign. You know, that was... It was a great campaign. It was a brilliant campaign. You know, that was, that was brilliant. That was really brilliant. Um, and really brave as well. Really brave. Really brave. It's kind of like, the absolute opposite to... To what everybody else was going. To what everyone else was sterile. But in a world where American teeth are normal, what becomes attractive is ugly teeth. Yes. Which are then not ugly, they're beautiful. Yes. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned Purcell then, actually, because it was a brave move that they did. And I know that... You can explain this to me in 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 more detail, but I know that there's a relationship between you and Diageo, and Mm -hmm. I think that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Because they're a brand that we associate almost solely with alcohol. Yep. And what you're doing is, what it feels to me, I look at it with admiration, you're leading them in a way that's better. How do you, how do you square that? And, and actually, I, I don't even need to know that because I, I know you well enough to know that it, you're cool with that. How do people respond to that? When, um, so we announced, we, you know, Diageo have a minority stake in Seedlip and we, we announced that last summer and it was a big, you know, it was a big call on, on both our parts to, to announce that news. Um, I mean, I, I've got to say, and I'm, I'm definitely not just saying this cause I wouldn't, um, there are some, there are a lot of 
you know, very future focused people at Diageo and very smart people and people who are aware of the way that the world is changing and they're the hyper aware globally of, of people's drinking habits and uh, what's in growth and what's in decline and what's going to happen. And so for them to go, well, actually, uh, you know, the future is great drinks. They can be with alcohol or not with alcohol. Very simple. Um, and therefore we want to, we want to start doing something about that. Um, I mean, it's amazing. And, and the, the support and belief that we have right up to the top is, has been unwavering. You know, and it, it, it's where we're trusted to just, let's get on. I, I, that's fascinating. And I, goes back to my question about scale. Mm. Uh, you can be a little brand, yeah. but until the big brands go, oh yeah, you know what? They're right. Yeah. Then nothing big's going to change. No. And I, I, I dance, I dance with some bigger brands occasionally and people are often surprised but I'm doing great stuff for them yeah. and I'm changing them yeah. and it's not easy and it's not fast. Yeah. And I, I, I think your relationship with them is, is really strong, a really positive thing. Agree. And, and, I, and you will change them as, as Tom's of Maine changed, is it Colgate you bought Tom's? I can't remember. And, and, and to a smaller degree, Body Shop changed L'Oreal. Yeah. And, Innocent change coke. Yeah. You know, undoubtedly yeah. these these small, almost counterculture businesses, they could never be created by large organisations. They need to be created by punks in hats like you. Yes. Yeah. And um and, and it's really important that the big organisations see that and embrace them. But that's been the, the biggest shift to me that I've seen is that I guess 80s and 90s there was this culture of uh we're big we must stamp out the small guys and then suddenly it, it you know it started shifting to actually what are we really good at we're the big business we're great at scale mm. we're great at doing really big things we're not good at the start. We're too big. We're too slow. There's too many people involved. Too risk averse. Too risk. And they miss. They 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 confuse trends and insights. Yes. So they can see a trend, but they don't know what to do with it. Yep. And they're too slow anyway to be able to. You know, the the trend's gone or moved on or changed. Um, and so it it's a it is a I think it's an amazing time for small businesses in that sense if if you do want to make an impact and you do want a business at scale, there are big companies who have got open arms now. You know, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not what it was. The culture is changing. And, and that's, for, for someone like us, that's hugely exciting because I want to build a global brand and I, I want to you know, be able to take our drinks to people all over the world. But I'm not good at big things. You know, I'm good at the small stuff and, you know, hustling in the trenches and, and kind of starting stuff and taking risks and doing all that bit. I'm not good or excited about the big bit. I love that. And you're right, they, are, they, are, they haven't just got open arms. 
there is no alternative for these big brands because they the world's shifting, spinning, yep. changing in ways that feel unpredictable and scary to yes. them. And they can carry on doing what they're doing and it will just be a slower decline if they do it well. Yep. Or they can embrace this change and embrace people like you and embrace people like me and look at and look at the kind of I always describe it, you know, I lecture at university and I see all these amazing design students coming through and, and they, when it gets to the fact that they need to get a job, they all kind of like cover up their tattoos, get their hair cut, take their <laughs> nose stood out and put a suit on, like metaphorically and physically shoehorn themselves into a suit. And then you've got Unilever, P&G, Diageo, yeah. Bacardi coming the other way going, where are all the fucking yeah, cool kids? Yeah, yeah. And all the cool kids have made themselves look like them. I, no, no, no. Be as you are. Yeah. That's what people yeah. want. Yeah. I sat in, I flew back from San Francisco uh, a couple of days ago, and on Tuesday I sat in a, uh, what can only be described as kind of, I guess the most, one of the most sort of cliched American wood panelled, huge boardroom chairs uh, with three um, very impressive businessmen sat in front of me in blue shirts and chinos, late 50s, nice tan skin, grey hair, big watch, big car, nameplate on the, in the car park. Um, and I, you know, I was in there dancing around and, and you know, showing them the fact that I've got peas tattooed on my knuckles. And, and actually, they, they, they responded really well to it, you know? Um, and so the... the the culture is changing and I think the kind of, oh God, it's, it's just, in that sense, it's so much more liberal. You know? the, the time's now, the time for us is now. I absolutely agree, absolutely agree with you. Um, two, two last questions. Yeah. One, and I meant to ask you this first up and I completely forgot because I walked all the way from Shoreditch and my head was somewhere else. Seaglip, tell me about the name. The name? Um, fuck, so I, I used to be, you know, design agency side. And we do a lot of naming projects for clients. And oh, I mean, just the most painful projects. Naming, fragile words, you know, you suddenly learn firsthand why people don't tell you what they're gonna call their child. Yeah. Because everybody knows a John they don't like. Um, and words are very easy to kill. <laughs> and they're very fragile. And they need context and they need help. And so when it came to naming Seedlip, I mean, I, it took me three months and I was driving myself insane. Anyway, I went home and I, I was like... Where's home? Home is... Lincolnshire. Lincolnshire, yeah. Went home and I was... I remember sat in a Land Rover with my gran next to me and she's got a memory like an elephant. And so I was just... I was like, gran, what, what do you... What have you been told or what was passed down to you about what it was like when we started farming? She was like, well, you know, farms are very small and it was all, you know, you were kind of, I'm going back to the 17th century and she's, you know, she's like, we just, we would, we would do everything ourselves. And if you had excess, you'd be able to swap stuff with your neighbours. Um, but you do everything by hand, you know, no tractors, there's no combines. Um, and she said, so, you, you know, you'd sow seed by hand. And she started doing this action, um, the technical term for it is broadcasting. Yeah. Um, and she said, oh, and you, you'd use a seed lip. And I was just like, oh, grand, that's amazing. Um, I'd, I'd come across seed lips at the English Museum of uh, Rural Life just outside Reading, which is an amazing little museum. They've got 12 seed lips there, but they were seed sowers baskets that you would literally hand sow your seed. You could sow about an acre an hour 
Um, I've got an 18th century one and a 19th century one. That this this um, antique salvage chap sold me 50 quid each. I mean, literally one man's trash and another man's treasure. That's amazing. So I thought it was fitting in an ode to to my family's history, but also we take we you know literally we're taking things from sea to lip. But. It's so interesting that the first thing, whenever someone says, oh, what, what do you do? Or what's, your, what's the business called? Or on the phone, or, you know, I'm from Seedlip. Sorry? Seedlip. And they will say it out. It's like this unconscious uh, physical reaction that they say it out loud because their brain is literally going, I know the word seed, and I know the word lip, but I've never heard them together. It's like the first time you heard spaceship... and literally the synapses are kind of putting them together and then it's all good but yeah it's uh... so what is she now still alive yes she is and what does she say when you gave her the first bottle with the name on that she my my gran my gran's hilarious Um, I still it's funny because I I I think, you know, my mother will obviously, my mother kind of keeps her up to date with what's going on. And I know her friends go, oh, you know, Ben Seedlip was in the paper or something. I I think if you asked her, and bless her, she's got Alzheimer's. So um, her her elephant memory is definitely going. But I know she'd be able to tell you that, oh, Ben has a drinks company. Um, and, 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 he go, and Ben uses, you know, he uses peas from the farm. Beyond that, Trying to, trying to talk to her about distillation, I don't think you'd get very far. My nan, I've had, my, both my nans are dead now, one relatively recently, but the other died with Alzheimer's. Okay. And, um, and, her, and your nan's memory of sowing seeds will be absolutely crystal clear. Yeah. Your nan's memory of what happened since that conversation in the Land Rover will be as cloudy as fuck. Yes. It's yes. a cruel disease. At first it's cruel for them because it's confusing, and, but then it's cruel for you. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking to see this this person that was like magnificent and yeah. complete, yeah. only complete to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my advice, not that you need it, is just spend the time in the in the era that she was comfortable in. Yeah. I used to just sit and and, and I got those adult colouring books weren't invented, <laughs> and I remember sitting there. I've got so many of these stories going. Why am I, I used to sit down colouring with my nan and I'd yeah. buy kids colouring books. And I remember thinking, I said to my nan, we could do with an adult colouring book. <laughs> five, five years later, the fuckers are everywhere and Mark never made any money on it. Same thing with coconut water. Anyway, and kombucha. Um, those moments, the, the, like that Land Rover moment, that's going to last forever for you. Mm. And you need to write that up and turn that into something magnificent mm. so that it stays super fresh and so she can read that yeah and she may not remember that no she can she can read that yeah so just to finish off because we're at 40 minutes and um these are for like people's train journeys and shit <laughs> i got told off that they were too long by my dad and then uh, too short by somebody else okay, so, you can't I'm, 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 I'm about right then as well what, what, what's the future what, what are you going to do next we've got a busy year um busy year from New Seedlip products to launch. Garden at Chelsea Flower Show in May. It's all about the pea, which is amazing. Getting to work with the family who invented the sugar snap pea in 1979. I mean, really? It's like absolute big, yeah. I hope, just, they're, I hope they're bloody well done. <coughs> I hope they did well out of that. They, I mean, I, I, 
they've got a little pea, labor- pea breeding laboratory in Idaho that I went out to last uh, December. Amazing. Um, building this kind of cathedral to nature up on the farm with an um, experimental nursery and a kind of plant laboratory, which is exciting. And then we're going we're gonna, uh, to create some new brands, ripping out the rule book on some new categories um, and further expand this, this category that we created. Yeah, it's going to be a busy year. I'm away for about 200 days of it. So, Oh, Ben. I mean, mate, uh, the product is incredible. And I, I, I'm very selfish in that I needed your product. I, I, I was that person that was stuck between, I love the flavour of savoury drinks, but... Yeah. I, but I didn't really want to be drunk all the time. Yeah. I don't like being drunk all the time. Yeah. Or even much of the time these days. Um, but you've not just done it. You've done it really, really well. Thank you. It's a beautiful product. It, it's an Im- the brand is fantastic. Thank you. But, but more, more than anything, all of that's great. But the intention that sits behind it is so pure and so clear. And, and, and I really wish you all the success in the world. Thanks, mate. Thanks, dude. Wow, I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did too. Loads of brilliant stuff to pick out of that. Um, but for me, the overriding thing is the aspiration to make a build a business that is in tune with, with what nature's doing rather than running against it. You can't make a profit on a dead planet. I hope you enjoyed it. Tune in for the next one coming soon.